You now tuned in to the Gunk Town Podcast. I'm your boy Doug B. We ain't got nothing to talk about, but we got something to talk about. Let's go. Good people, good people, good people. Welcome back to the Gump Town Podcast, episode 117. I'm your boy, Doug B. If you tuned in to this podcast, thank you for your time and your attention. I really appreciate you giving this podcast a shot. Today's guest is the founder and owner of International Coffee Line, LLC. I'm looking forward to this conversation, and I'm sure we'll all be inspired by her story. Let's chop it up with Marcy Anderson. Marcy, how's it going? Hey, it's going wonderful. How are you doing today? Glad to hear that, and all is well on my end, too. First things first, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to chop it up with me a few minutes. I really appreciate it. No, thank you so much for inviting me. Um, when I listened to some of your episodes previously, I was so excited to hear and share more about my business and coffee. So thank you. Yes, ma'am. Of course, here to talk about International Coffee Line and all the great things you have going on with business. But before we talk business, let's get to know the woman behind the brand. So you're originally from Indianapolis, Indiana. What was your upbringing like coming up in Indy? Oh, um, my upbringing was um, the typical middle class that you would find. Uh, but one of the unique identifiers is the fact that um, I was diagnosed with a life-threatening illness called sickle cell disease. So in the midst of all that, I needed to learn how to manage my life um, in a way which I was blessed to learn from my mother and other um I'll call them angels, really, because we were blessed to have them so close to us um, in my upbringing in Indy. Angels that helped me really understand and learn how further. But what I will say is that that experience growing up, along with the um, pride that my mother placed in me to really have a deep appreciation for Black people and our stories and our um, triumphs, our struggles, our successes, is one of the things that led me to want to move to um, the South, along with it being warmer weather, so it's better for my health, but just being around Black people and really being here to um, get more of the missing pages from the Black story. I went to a majority white schools um, in the Lawrence Township area and Indianapolis. So having that sense of pride when I walked into my door every day made a huge difference in my bringing, my upbringing and the perspective that I carry and the passion I carry for our story. Mm, powerful story. And I appreciate you for sharing just your upbringing as well as dealing with sickle cell. And it just sounds like you had a great village around you that was very supportive of you and helped you make it through, help you deal with that. And that's what it's all about, having a great village around. So, and yes, I'm blessed. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And growing up middle class, like that's a blessing as well. I too grew up middle class. And I think that more people need to, Hear that promoted because a lot of people I'm not saying that everyone experienced some people do get it out the mud but that's not middle class isn't getting out the mud you have food clothes shelter you had a family village and it's great that you acknowledge that and you and it's also amazing that you acknowledge being grateful for it because that's a blessing to have a great village around you no absolutely and mind you i don't knock that upstart and that getting it out the mud because right. our family has that beautiful story uh, coming out of Arkansas with roots and family legacy, many of our family members moved, um, specifically my grandfather, grandmother moved from Arkansas up to Flint, Michigan. Um, so with a lot of that, we have a lot of those deep appreciations. And I had a love and passion for the South growing up. 
for that story and understanding that our legacy coming this far was off of the strength of our ancestors and the people that came before us with the work that they did. So we know I understand the story well and I will identify that I am. But look, <laughs> we were a household, <laughs> two car household with my grandfather coming up um, after his trips hunting to uh bring us wild meat. And my mama used to host wild meat parties because she would keep rabbit and cone and some good venison in the freezer <laughs> and through my grandfather. So yeah, no, we we I love the uniqueness of my story and my people and I'm thankful to um continue that on and that legacy in a unique way. Yes, ma'am. Much respect to your grandfather. He was a part of that that great migration. That's what it's known as like a lot of people from the South made their way up to the Midwest. So your grandfather, he definitely had vision. He definitely knew he could make a better life for his, his children and children's children. So, yeah, that's great. Like I said, like just you acknowledging that, that's amazing. And, yeah, like the great migration. And it's great that you wanted to come back down south just to get back tapped in with those roots. And how did how exactly did you hear about Alabama State? Well, the Alabama State University. How did you get wind of that up there in Indianapolis? Yeah, it's Alabama State University. Yes. Right. <laughs> Look, and I come from the time with the phrase, when we teach class, the world takes note. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> so, you remember, brother, you remember. Yes, ma'am. Uh, sure. I was determined to go to an HBCU. And so my mother put me in in programs in Indianapolis where a lot of recruiters from most of the HBCUs that you find will come to Indianapolis looking to recruit students and bring them to their university. So I had a list of schools that I traveled to, but for some reason, when I made it to Alabama State, the energy and the people and specifically the women that I came across just because it was a woman that gave us our very first tour, not only did I appreciate the information that she was sharing, with me about the school, but the fact is I love the way that she carried herself. And I said, that is the kind of woman that I wanna be. So just coming across so many beautiful hornets that moved in this way, and the fact that they offered programs that at the time I thought, look, you think you know what God has in store for you in your life path, and then you find out as you move and that, that ain't nowhere near. But I thought <laughs> I wanted to move into higher healthcare for um, my studies and my profession. And so I saw that ASU had a program. I love the vibe, I love the energy. And this, the experience just on the campus with the people and the staff and faculty members as well, meeting them and this woman get tour, um, it just sold me, it sold me. And I could tell in my spirit, I was like, this is where I need, this is where I'm not, this is where I was told to go. So the other schools, they didn't have a chance, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> ASU really caught, they caught on to me early. <laughs> now that's an amazing story. And like, that's great that you wanted to come to an HBCU, that you were intentional about attending an HBCU. And it's so great because most of us who end up at HBCUs, well, I'll speak for me, it wasn't heavily promoted. I'm born and raised in the Gump, but coming up, it was always Alabama, Auburn. Those are the two schools. So when mm -hmm. I ended up at Alabama State, the Alabama State University, I'm in hindsight, it's the best decision I could have ever made. But back to you. So <laughs> coming down no, to Indian same way. Tell me a story. I love it because it is <laughs> and I will not trade or change for the world. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. So your initial when you moved down to Montgomery from Indy, were there any cultural shocks? 
there was a there were quite a few coaches. Um, let's talk about them. <laughs> all right, let's talk. Okay, and mind you, this is only my perspective, my right, opinion. Right. My, so others may feel differently, and they may object or find you know something a little more unique. But that's fine. <laughs> our story. Yes, um, it was a bigger culture shock um, for me because of the experience of. I'll say the biggest experience, I was used to the experience of beautiful Black people with humble beginnings and just a love and passion for wanting to make life better for themselves. Uh, that was really um, something that I felt a little used to, but was more fine-tuned and direct based on the beautiful uh, professors and just uh, influencers, not just really influencers, but people involved in the community doing day-to-day -day work to help better the people. But the biggest culture shock, let's be honest, was the experience of more overt than covert racism. So I had not moved in a space where I saw, um, and that's not to say that they weren't existing or prevalent in the city of Indianapolis, but I didn't think it was something that I would experience seeing based on the way they tell the stories, uh, seeing Confederate flags, Confederate battle flags, as my husband would identify them. So um, prevalent, it's like a an energy, a, um, it's like a Cold War energy where you find that <laughs> those, yeah. the history and the legacy and experience from enslavement, Black Code, Pig Law, Jim Crow, um, civil rights, all those things, you can feel the story, the um, unfinished aspects and the finished aspects, you feel the energy within, um, among the people, whether you're talking about Black folks or white folks, or even the experience of other um, ethnicities that come to space. The biggest culture shock was that and how forward and open it was, and yet how proud and um, strong our people are in this space, spite of it. Yes, ma'am. You understand what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm tracking. Like, pretty much when you came down here, like, racism was on the forefront. It wasn't something that was hidden. Like, you could feel the energy. You could see it. And that's exactly what it is. And Marcy, to be honest with you, there are a lot of people down here in the South, in Montgomery, because I can only speak for the city that I was born and raised in. They are mm -hmm. still stuck in Jim Crow. They are still on that. And, like, that's, that's – I'm not surprised that you felt that shift. Like, I was – I kind of figured you were going there when you started talking and that's exactly what it is down here. Like there are a lot of people that's still on that, on that nonsense. So how were you able to, how did you cope with it? Because you ended up staying down here. So how did you cope with it and deal with it? Really brother? I coped with it the same way. Um, I coped with it, finding the same matching this opposite, really opposite, but equal matching energy in the untold stories of black six and black triumph all around it from the I would used to walk the city on weekends because I didn't have a car you know new college student you um just trying to figure out where you are I used to walk the downtown the downtown city streets and look at these black and gold placards that would tell the history and stories and they don't tell enough of the black story but between that and learning from beautiful professors that were on our campus I dealt with it because I was able to find the black stories that were untold and not told enough and it gave me pride and I swelled more seeing not just read you can read about it and you can read about it in like a one sentence or one quick paragraph or narrative in a history book that will tell a lot of stories that are not necessarily our own but it is another thing to walk and visually see the houses 
the sidewalks, spaces, the fields, the places, the bridges where these things really happened and find out those in-between stories. So I cope with it by really being enveloped in that pride, which, you know, ASU taught a lot, taught us a lot of that. They made sure we knew and understood the story. And for the student that was anxious to find it out, I exposed myself as much as I could to different opportunities, whether they were in classes, forums, or uh, books that I could find that were suggested by professors on the campus. This is how I was able to cope. Because like I said, I've always had a love for Black story. So the way I cope was finding the ones and learning the ones and seeing the places where these stories took place, like where these stories happen right here in the city, in spite of, so like, and it's similar with the coffee experience, two stories being told, the one that you can find easily through Google or through um, modernized textbooks. And then the other story that trailblazers tend to tell and share, whether they have the, they're blessed to write the story or just to tell you orally, as our histories have been traditionally passed in a lot of ways. So this is how I cope. That's powerful. And that's what it takes to really learn the story, get immersed in it, really walk the streets and read those signs. Because to your point, these modernized textbooks and Google, it tells our story. And I can say this because we're both black. It tells our story as if we were some charity case that was rescued. And that's not exactly how it went. I Exactly. We, we were we were we were royalty and the powers that be saw that that we were bigger, faster, stronger, and they took advantage of it. In layman's term, that's the best way I can describe the black just the black plight. And I'm not playing victim, it is what it is. So I'm I'm glad that you were able to immerse yourself in the city, walk the streets, and really just get a feel for what Montgomery really is and just the history book doesn't do it. Just justice, like just the things that went on. And uh, Jim Crow was an interesting era. And I just have so much respect for people like your grandfather and my elders who who lived through it, because I know a lot of people our age speak as if, oh, we're not our ancestors. We're not. Our ancestors mm -hmm. were, were, were trill for real. Like they it's necessary because right. many of have no idea the kind of fight that they really had. And mm -hmm. you don't know that until you learn the real story until right. you learn there were more battles and uprisings during enslavement than this country could handle. You don't know that until you learn of the struggles and triumphs. Like I'm, I'm my husband's beautiful family. They have real visualizations and real family members that are um, success stories and victim stories between the Tuskegee Airmen, the um, Tuskegee Syphilis Project, um, even the story of one of his ancestors being lynched in Georgia. These are very real stories that have happened. So we're not just, um, like I said, we are not, we don't fit in the box or category of being one or another. We are beautiful and complex and we are far more laced into this American history than people want to give us credit for. And internationally, I think that is what led me to my passion in understanding the struggle of the African coffee farmer and finding out they have just um, as big a story telling and going back when it comes to coffee, yet modern coffee stories would tell you and would lead you to lead you to believe that coffee originates out of South America. So I love that we are delving more into it and that I am really, I'm a student. The biggest thing that my strength and my power is the fact that I am a student to life. I am a student to our history and I love to read. 
I love to research. I love to understand. And I love to be able to share those things and figure out what it is that I'm guided in to move in when I have an opportunity to make a difference on our journey as Black people. Yes, ma'am. Powerful stuff. That's everything you said is spot on. But on a lighter note, because we kind of went like we got talking about the deep, rich history of our people, which is always a good thing. I'm always down for that conversation. And I appreciate you for everything that you share. Everything you shared has been powerful. So on a lighter note, let's talk about the HBCU experience. What was that like for you at the Alabama State University? (laughs) (laughs) It was it was life changing. It helped me to fine tune and cultivate some beautiful skills. Um, and some gifts that, you know, you know how our professors do. They see it and they want to challenge it and they will do that by any means. But um, I was blessed to um, join and be a part of an organization called Phi Beta Lambda Professional Business Fraternity Incorporated. I acquired my uh, bachelor's degree in biology, free health with a concentration in maternal and child health. So that was a space where I really was able to cultivate my research skills. But Aside from that, I loved attending the forums. I loved going to the events, the parties, of course. But look, I was a bio student, so you already know we hardly had a life if you <laughs> wanted to graduate on time. So this girl over here was pushing 18 credit hours and doing um, volunteer work with Miss Kennedy, I'll say. Um, and then as well as um, being involved with PBL, Theta Beta chapter, I was very proud to work with them too. So my experience with ASU was, was so cultured and so diverse and so beautiful it was because i got a chance to see and learn from so many different backgrounds when it came to our cultural arts our education our science our healthcare, all of it i love it yes ma'am amazing stuff and i i agree with you wholeheartedly and the hbcu experience it was just a big melting pot i got a chance to meet people from all over east coast west coast midwest like like you're from west coast and we just all come together and it's just a, a big melting pot and we just create some great memories so i'm glad man that... we had fun Look, oh yeah for sure <laughs> i don't know if you even participated down to the late night times where folks would come out and play um what is it they would put like kickball out in the mall area or play, Equinox, um, yeah. man we used to have fun on that campus we still do i know oh, yeah. students i know they have i could just only speak on our experience and my experience but yeah right um, ASU, but my whole heart, have my whole heart. And I think that's one of the things that led me to want to stay is that I was blessed to, um, I had a great job. I had come across a great, beautiful set of friends. And these friends weren't necessarily affiliated, affiliated with ASU, but they understood and they moved in that energy where they were doing um, a lot of things that were cultural, culturally inclined, such as the arts. And poetry. So I used to do that. I was big on that in my 20s, um, acting and doing um, poetry as well. So yeah, ASU experience, though, I could tell God was setting me up for something greater. And I have no regrets. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Absolutely. So let's talk about your time as president while you were in school for PBL. So what did you learn about yourself in that leadership role for two years? Cool. Um, I learned. I learned a lot. It was a very um, flux experience because I believe we were also in the process of transitioning from um, professors that were responsible. Like, you know how every organization has to be affiliated with a professor in order Mm -hmm. um, to maintain its legitimacy on the campus and all of its like paperwork and details. We were in a flux where that was changing. But what I will say, as I came across a beautiful set of people um, 
because before then there was a sister that was served as president for some years prior. And I came in shortly after and that class was transitioning out. So they needed different people to fill the role. And a lot of the members from my line, as well as lines and passing that were after us, really did um, try their best to understand and provide a new perspective because the energy at state changed. Um, and I'm not, like I said, it's not necessarily for the better or for worse, but it, it changed to fit the times that were changing. So in that role, I learned how the better the skills that I would need and manage in order to understand working with people. I didn't always perform it the best as I wish I would have because of the fact that I also was experiencing getting a lot. But what I will say is the guidance I received from the other members, they helped me to feel confident in that space. And it taught me, it set me up to learn what it is that I improve for future roles I have now. Um, so I am thankful for that role. I'm thankful for it. I learned about um, the tent paying attention to detail and understanding unique structures that happen when it comes to business and how really the biggest aspects of business is in relationships. It's in the relationships that you, I didn't know at the time that I was learning, but I would receive other examples of this lesson later on in my life, um, given the other roles that I care. So I'm thankful. Yes, ma'am. And that's powerful. And of course, none of it makes sense when we're going through it, but in hindsight, you're able to look back and see, Hey, as president, I was able to learn, like you said, the power of relationships as well as, some of the things that you utilize now in what you do modern day. So what would you say just one or two of those things that have been transferable to what you do now as a CEO? Mm, um, let's, some of the things that are transferable is speaking personally, the level of confidence and understanding that um, having that confidence in what you've been blessed, what God has blessed you with and learning that you do better working with people and building partnerships and working to align your business to help others understand um, other people's struggle and what it is they have brought to the table when it comes to their opinions. Even if you disagree, learning that um, their perspective brings can still bring insight is something or to, is one of the things that I've learned and been able to transfer into my space um, as CEO. I think my bigger lesson as far as moving in this position didn't come until after I graduated from it. So it's almost like God was giving me a taste. And then he's like, I got more for you later on. So, <laughs> yes, ma'am. That's, that's how it goes. I'm telling you, like just that journey, the process is being able to go through your go through. And when you get to the other side, like you're doing now, you're able to look back and see, okay, that's what I learned. And now I'm able to apply that in what I do now. So let's talk more about International Coffee Line. What you got going on over there? All right. International Coffee Line is a startup that is dedicated to educating individuals on the story of Black coffee, as well as working to seek um, fair compensation and restore dignity for the Black coffee farmer. Now, with ICL, what we do is we source, um, we distribute, what is it? We import and we distribute coffee coming from African countries. Currently, we have Uganda and Kenya on our line, and we are looking to source and open other coffees as well. But in us sourcing, we work, we work directly with community members coming from the cooperative areas, the farms, and even some independent farmers to um, help them build 
and restore a sense of dignity. Also work to make sure they are fairly compensated. Well, many people don't know there, like I said earlier, there are two stories being told. Um, what I'm gonna share is the lesser told story in regards to coffee is the fact that it is an African um, I actually have um, sources and paraphernalia that's gonna I'm gonna release on the site soon that says that coffee is an African fruit because most people don't even know that it comes from a cherry. It comes from a cherry that was originally found in uh, the earliest being found in Ethiopia. And through natural efforts such as um, colonization or really, no, not just colonization, but the movement of water, animals, um, migration, and the um, fact that it was a stolen um, fruit, a stolen bean in, out of Ethiopia, out of Africa um, in 616 by two Dutch women is one of the lesser told stories and aspects people don't know. So you think what what that leads to and what that looks like unfolding in today is that coffee has moved in a way similar to the Atlantic slave trade to where everyone wanted to try to get their hands on it and wanted to do as little as possible to uh, recognize and show respect to the originators of that. So International Coffee Line seeks to find ways where they can restore that dignity, restore that pride, and ensure that the coffee farmers are seen and heard and paid well for the coffee that they grow and source and give to the rest of the world. Many people don't, um, there are a lot of people that also don't know how, although you may be charged five, seven, ten dollars in your average coffee um, shop that you attend and walk into today, you think that because you see them the most, they're the most prevalent shops that you see, that you are getting the best coffee, but you are actually getting a very cheapened bean. And not only are you getting a cheapened bean, the farmers are, um, they see very little to none of that. So for every $3 cup of coffee that you may get, the farmer may say, they may expect seven to 15 per cup from that coffee. And it's a version of modern day sharecropping in some experiences of the coffee farms where the colonization is so heavily drenched in their government policy that farmers are even forbidden, were even forbidden at some point in time to um, where they were forbidden to process their own coffee. And they would, so say, you know the stone talk about sharecropping, where um, the owner would provide you with the seeds, you would have to pay, you, the owner would provide you with the um, equipment, even if you were on your own land or you were on someone else's land, then they would say, well, end of it all, we will tally up um, the amount of money that you've made from producing this product and then in turn subtract the cost from you using our equipment, using our seat. And almost always it came up short. The numbers didn't number right. The math wasn't math. So the the farmers would be at a significant loss to scratch tooth and nail just to make sure that they could provide for their families and continue moving on in this legacy. You have several generations of coffee farmers that come in and some of them are being forced out of their legacy because of the fact that there are areas that drive the price of coffee so low, they make it so the farmer loses money. And even multinational organizations see there is a problem in supply chain where the farmer is making so little money off of the bean that they provide the world. And 60% of the coffee that's produced in the world is created from independent farmers. So for coffee to be the number one, no, for coffee to be the second most consumed beverage in the world, next to water, um, based on research, how is it that the coffee farmers are struggling daily just to stay barely above coffee farming poverty? 
This is something that they give the world and yet they make the least amount of money for. And even more so, the stories of black coffee farmers. Because most folks don't know, these beans, all 130 species of coffee, they are sourced from East Africa. They're originally sourced from East Africa. So when you take a coffee bean, or you take a plant and you take it out of its original environment, you take it out of its original um, climate, its original water source, its original soil, you take it to a space and then you enslave or you share crop, force the people into a um, just above enslaved labor in order to produce it and pay them little to nothing for it. You see how you start to find the similarities when it comes to how the slave trade uh, moved global in reference to the coffee. And it's a lot of Black folks and a lot of people in general that just don't know that story. So ICL works to help tell that story. And I'm new to the block. I've been blessed to meet some other Black coffee businesses that are standing up for the fight. My mentor, Phyllis Johnson from BD Imports, as well as um, another mentor of mine, Bartholomew Jones, um, I've learned from this brother just in the things that he shares with the uh, Coffee Black. There are businesses out there that are rolling to come, but my goal specifically with ICL, International Coffee Line, um, is similar to one that um, is with a organization, a grassroots investment organization I'm a part of called the Ledge Group, where we work to build Black partnerships and we work to build partnerships with Black diasporic people and with um, Black people on the continent of Africa when it comes to resources and businesses that will start to benefit both. We work to lift each other up. So with that being said, we move specifically in coffee to help restore that dignity and help um, with sustainability for the coffee farmer, the Black coffee farmer, based on the story that's been untold. So, and we work to bring our coffee a price that is still for the community and yet it still puts a charge on the consumer to put their dollars towards actually helping these farmers maintain this beautiful sense of pride and legacy that they've had over generations. Wow. That's it. That is powerful. And you just gave a whole bunch of education about coffee that I had no idea about. And I appreciate you for sharing that and educating us on that. I had no idea coffee originated in East Africa. And that's where a large supply of the coffee that's being sold in the world now is coming from. And I think it's so great that with ICL you're, you're doing this to empower our people and help, like you said, bring back that dignity as well as educate people because a lot of us are in the blind. Like we, we go to these different coffee shops, these big box stores, these big brands, and not even realizing that the $3, the $3 cup of coffee that we're buying, the person that produced it, they're getting pennies on a dollar. And that's, that's messed up, but you did a great job also just drawing that parallel with the slave trade, just how they're doing the coffee makers. Wow. That's I'm just blown away. I just been listening to this and I had no idea about this, but it's good <laughs> that people like yourself are coming in this space because once you, because it starts with awareness, like a lot of us don't know, but people that are hearing this now, they can now, now, now that they have this information, hopefully they'll do something with it. Hopefully they'll be more intentional and deliberate about supporting black owned coffee, no. coffee brands. Yeah. Oh yes, ma'am. Go ahead. I'm sorry. What I will say um, to, and I, I don't know, maybe look, I'm passionate when it comes to story and I'm a new so I'm swallowing up information and learning and finding ways for it to help build the direction. Of it. So Monthly Made its global and more so closer to our time and our generation. So not only is the coffee coming from a space that it did not originate, but it's coming off the backs of people that are either not recognized or are over labored and underpaid. 
in order to bring us this cup of coffee. And then you get the, how do I say, you have the experience in the coffee industry where some studies will ex have expressed and found that Black people in general are, general, are generally are twice as least likely to drink coffee. And one of the things that leads to that notion is the fact that I'll see Black people, one of the notions that things that leads to that notion is the fact that we feel underrepresented. So it's a problem that we feel underrepresented in an industry where we serve as um, the progeny of the originators. For we serve as the progeny and the um, the people that came after from the originators of this coffee. Does that make sense? Like you, how is it that the farmers that originate and brought us this bean first get paid the least, and then the people existing today know coffee from a reference existence of they know coffee from a reference and existence of European, such as your cappuccinos, your espressos, your lattes, or even when you go into coffees in general, they carry um, a view and a portrayal of culture that you don't see us. You don't see our people. You don't see our story. So there are there are people standing in the gap. There are businesses, Black folks standing up who want to make a difference when it comes to telling our story and seeing that our dignity is stored when it comes to um, the movement of this country. Mm, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. It's And I definitely, like I said, like you just educating me in this moment and the people who will hear this when it releases, like it's, it's definitely, I, my hope is that people become more intentional about the brands that they support because I had no idea. Even you talking about coffee coming from cherries, like that was mind blowing. I just had no idea. Like <laughs> we're just, we're just not in the know. But one thing about me, like you were saying, you've said a couple of times, I'm a student. I'm a student to life. I'm always learning. I'm always willing to gain more knowledge, read read more books. And because a lot of the stuff, like you were explaining with this coffee bean, guess what you want? Guess where you won't find this information? In a textbook. Nope, you will not. <laughs> it is hard. I have learned, noticed on my journey, researching, even some of the books that search in mind, I have to cross check and verify I'm reading um the edges like reading the perspective and reading the reviews and understanding the book to see what perspective being told. Because like I said, it's two stories. There's a story that you'll find easily on Google in terms of where coffee's really from. And then obviously there's the story untold from the perspective of the farmer. And we've been blessed to go um what is it? Some of the members through the organization I'm a part of, grassroots called the Ledge Group. I've been blessed. This is my first encounter when it came to coffee was that members were blessed to go and talk to the coffee farmers and walk through and see um, and have them tell their stories and see how the coffee is moved and learn about this rich legacy. And I'm excited. We did that in Uganda and I'm excited to go do that next year in Kenya. So, yes, if you watch out and um, check out on my social media page, you will see me traveling through Kenya. I just got back from South Africa last month. Um, doing some other investment projects um, through the Ledge Group. And we're working to um, with those people to help build and improve a city in South Africa that's in the Free State area near Lesotho. So with that being said, um, we I'm thankful for what I've been blessed to across, and I call it the faith walk in every journey because God couldn't have told me, bringing me down here, that I was being prepared for all of this. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Powerful stuff. Now, that's just powerful what you got going on with the company. And whenever I have entrepreneurs on the platform like yourself, I like to talk about the aha moment, action and audacity. 
Let's start with your <laughs> aha moment. Take us back to the moment when you first had this idea to come into this space. <laughs> Look, I was thinking about that, listening to your shows, and I'm I'm still uncertain how to answer this question, so I'm going to try mm. my best. Okay. Because um, my aha moments, they aren't necessarily the same. I'm a stubborn child, and so what is it? God, and I believe in the power of God, and I also believe in the power of my ancestors. So God and my ancestors will turn around and hit me over the head with something. You know, we told you to I'm trying to show you because I'm stubborn. So uh, my aha moment listed of um, learning the beautiful story of coffee from seeing the um, experience that happened when some of our members went to Uganda first. And then um, I was thinking I was so dead set at that time when I first learned about coffee. I thought that I was supposed to start a company. And so I was working to do um, a business in healthcare, moving as a traveling phlebotomist. Um, and I realized more and more that as I built the business through, even though I'm skilled, I knew it was something I was capable of doing. It didn't bring me the kind of joy. It didn't bring me the kind of self-awareness and peace that I thought it was going to. And more and more, it became an uphill battle. And I'm not one to shy away from challenge. I'm really not. Um, I'm not one to shy away from challenge. When it comes to things being hard, I will take the long road when it comes to investments and opportunities. And I've seen the payoff. Because my work um, doing outreach things with um, over on the continent of Africa stems back to my mid-20s, um, as early as 2017 when I first got involved. And now we are 2023, and I'm still on it. So it's not something that happens overnight, but they ain't never shied away from the challenge. But the aha moment for me was really when they were saying, Marcy, you could really make a difference. People, you could do cough. You could do this. And more and more, I was seeing how, okay. I'm realizing I'm skilled at what it is I do in healthcare, but this is really passion. This isn't really moving for me. It was something that I got involved with because of the fact that I wanted to learn how to do something. I wanted to learn, I wanted to phlebotomy because I wanted to learn how to do something that many nurses and other phlebotomists and even anesthesiologists struggled to do for me, which is finding things to get me the medicine and fluids that I needed for every hospital experience I've had over my life. And I've had many. Um, so my aha came when I realized this peace and joy that I found in the Black story of coffee and the passion that I have for not only understanding the Black story, but for wanting to help people that look like to help lift us up together. So I believe wholeheartedly in the notion of when we partner with each other and share our resources and our, our resources and our insights and work together, we can help each other out of our circumstances and our struggles. Yes, ma'am. One thousand percent collaboration over competition. I really yeah. can't wait until the day where I, all of our people, where we realize that, like, if we come together, like you just said, we could take it back what's been taken from us. I'll just keep it. I'll keep it real. Like, if we come together, <laughs> <laughs> one step at a time, brother. One step at a time. There are right. these silos happening all over this world. Black people doing amazing things and moving in spaces. And when I say silos, I say them as the unique circles but they're all moving in the same sense. So my belief and the knowledge that I've learned in my um, practice when it comes to understanding God and seeing him move and seeing my ancestors move, um, this is all happening for a reason. This is all influence. So these different unique silos, no matter what industry we partner in and move together in, whether it be coffee, whether it be hemp, whether it be um, dealing with ag other agricultural aspects or 
just anything that our people are our brilliant minds come together on. We are helping to lift each other up. So unique, bringing back to focus, what ICL is doing is building a Black supply chain. So with our partnerships in Kenya um, that we have currently, we are working to build a chain that will supply. And I want to bring it right here to the state of Alabama where I serve as import and we are working to gather funds to build um, our roastery right here in the city, right here. So, um, and I'm looking, I'm thinking I'm moving between two locations for the, um, the roastery to be in a coffee shop. But this way, I want to bring a Black supply chain source directly from Kenya and Uganda or whatever areas that we're blessed to open up with afterwards right here to the state. Powerful stuff. Yes, ma'am. Like you said, one step at a time, these silos, like we coming together, those power group of economics, collaboration. Mm -hmm. We all come together and we all collaborate, make some great things happen like you're doing in the coffee space. So you had your aha moment, just wanted to... Just, you had your. <laughs> yes, I hope I answered your question well. I was really trying to figure out. I'm like, I'm playing my ah. <laughs> no, it's fine. You did a great job. And from the time you had the aha moment, let's talk about action. How long did it take you to take action towards coming up with the name, the brand, and actually getting started? Oh, um, I have been exposed to the coffee story at the feet of the coffee industry. 2018. And it was during, this is why on my logo, you will see established in 2020 is because it was during um, 2020, December 2020, when I realized I decided to really step out and create the National Coffee and realize that, okay, this is the movement I'm going to take. I'm going to take one. So my journey has been researching, learning the story, coming across some guides and angels, like I say, who are moving in that space and decide to impart wisdom on me. Um, and just working to build those relationships. And you can tell oftentimes when um, there's something that's meant for you because the doors will open to it. It won't always be easy per se, but there are moments where you'll see how it clicks. And for me, I didn't realize I was prepared for it. So the work for it has been one step at a time since 2020, from building those relationships, sourcing that coffee, distributing it to different individuals to get understanding and their opinions of the taste and the profiles of the varietals to, um, to what is it, just building the structure of the business itself and curtailing it more to fit the direction and focus I want. Because I don't want to just build the business. I'm going to have success regardless. I know that's already been, I believe that in my home, I will have success. But what I want is for the business to bring success not only to me, but the people that are influenced on every aspect of the supply chain. I want Black folks here to feel more empowered, understanding that they are the originator. Their ancestors are the originators of this being that is gifted in the world and for them to feel a sense of pride when they drink it and representation. I want the farmers and the processors in these African communities to feel like they are being fairly compensated and fairly, um, you know, represented and really, in a sense, um, praised for their hard work and their family's legacy for each bean that they grow. Because this is real labor, it's real work. It takes about 3,000 beans um, on average to go into one coffee bag. And these are beans, like I have the video footage you'll see on my page showing like people moving through and sorting beans at a time and pushing through. This is laborious work that these people work um, to help provide for their families and continue in their legacy. So I want them to feel represented. I want them to feel that um, they are appreciated and I want 
us to become begin being the gatekeepers of our own legacies when it comes to our resources provided to the world. Mm-hmm. And with that being said, my work has been relationships. It has been with the structure and it has been with the focus and making sure that I stay not just for the sake of wanting to build something for building it and making it successful, but let it help families. Because if I can just help a few farmers, a couple communities of coffee farmers to help provide better for their lives and their children and their people, I'm happy and I'm thankful. And I hope to inspire someone else to want to take up the mantle and step up because I was certainly inspired by others that I've seen in the coffee. Amazing, powerful stuff. And that last part, audacity. It's one thing to have an idea. It's another thing to act on the idea. But it's mm-hmm. a completely different beast to put it out to the world to be praised or criticized. Who or what gave you that courage, that audacity to put ICL out to the world? Mm-hmm. The audacity as a personal space, more so than anything external or my journey or research. It was a personal space where I didn't have to believe the story that was being told that People that look like me or have an experience of things that I have unique to um, sickle cell experience has to just live their life in a hospital and live their lives doing only so much. Be thankful that they, the audacity came when I realized it was time to start sharing these gifts I was blessed with and this knowledge and information with the world. So like I said, that confidence, because I didn't know, I didn't really have it coming up thinking when you're being told in so many spaces, like I was blessed. My mother never allowed for my story to just be the notion of I have sickle cell and oh, that's it. She was like, we're going to manage this. We're going to work with this, but we're going to get back to the things that make you happy that make you you outside of that. So it's just a question of learning better ways. to. I took that and ran with it in a serious way. I didn't just go and get a degree in science for, um, for the sake of working in healthcare. I went and got a degree because I wanted to understand how my body moved. And what I realized is that I don't have to be afraid to want to go after big dreams and goals just because my daily experience shows me that I may spend more time in a hospital than the average person or I may experience and not have as much energy to do things. I learned that even if I physically can't move, I was blessed to have knowledge and intelligence that I could act on and move on. So my audacity came when I said, it's time to stand up and show you, show others the light that you were blessed with. It's time to stand up and be an example for those who feel or question or they want to do these things, but they question whether or not they can. It's time for you to be an example. And it actually makes me a little emotional talking about it because this journey, this journey has been a blessing to come to that point where you no longer choose to listen to the doubt or the fears or the things that others may tell you because the experience in Black health is just as prejudiced in a lot of ways. And dealing with a Black disease, you deal with some of the things, specifically here in Montgomery, in that racist aspect, you will deal with people that treat you like, you know, you should feel criminalized for having something that others struggle with every day that you didn't ask for. But it's really a mark of strength because if I can make it through, if I can make it through this experience of lying in a hospital bed, my body feeling like it's going to split apart from so much pain. If I can make it through those moments learning to walk again after being in bed for weeks at a time, I can make it through the opinions of others and understanding that they don't tell my story. 
And that is not all that I'm made of. So if I can be an example for other individuals that suffer with the things that I've struggled with or suffer with that look like me and want to do larger than life things. Um, and I say larger than life because what I'm acting out now are things that I had in my dreams. Going over to South Africa, going over to Nairobi, Kenya, working with contacts out of Kenya and Uganda. This is what larger than life things to me that many warriors I know, sickle cell warriors that struggle, I don't hear those stories being told. That's not to say they don't happen, but I grew up not hip. So if I could be an example for that, if I can have the courage to step out on that and the audacity to move and show that there's someone else, there's a younger um, person or a younger um, Black girl, Black boy can look at me that, no, you can do this. I started from this, and this is what I've been blessed to move in because I chose not to give up and let this be my only story. Then it, if nothing else, who else is going to do it if not you? It's like if you've been blessed with the opportunity you see the problem and you know that you have the skills to make a difference, even if it's just in a small way, it's your charge to do it and try. So my audacity came when I realized I could very well do this and it was time to show the world and not just my loved ones that I and this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm involved with and keep on pushing and hope that, you know, God will bless every step. You know, I know God will bless every step, but just praying that it has the influence and can make a difference in the people that I'm trying to help. Wow. That's that right there was the real deal. That was powerful <laughs> right there. Hey, I, and no, no, you No, 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 Marcy. No, no, Marcy. Do not apologize because what you just said was needed. Because the thing is, they and you already know they who I'm talking about, they always trying to tell us that we have this sickness, we have this illness, that's the end. And you not you're not accepting that and you being willing to fight and in spite of the racism, in spite of the sickness, sickle cell. And I know it's a serious illness. I know one person I used to work with, a coworker of mine, I won't you know, say his name, but I just remember what it would do to him. It would zap all of his energy. He would be out of work for a day or two. Because I've seen from the outside looking in what sickle cell does. So for you to still have that courage to still get up, to still fight, to still know what our people have been through, and in spite of what's going on in your life, your personal life, you're still doing it. Like, that's amazing. That's powerful. And don't ever apologize for telling that story because they want us to be apologetic. They want us to be reserved. They want us to be humble. They want us to lay down to mm-hmm. their their little goofy rules. And that, they don't realize, man, like, I, our people, we just, them people, we just, we just built different. I mean, it, I, I can't. I'm not going to say it the politically correct way, but we just, we bought that action and you can't hold us down mm-hmm. forever. We're going to always figure a way and a better way. Then when you put another obstacle in our way, we're going to figure out another way. <laughs> and that's just what we do, you know? Absolutely. Our stories are filled not just with struggle, but with triumph and success and globally changing impact, global impact that, you know, can, that reverberates and moves in many ways that, are not always, um, you know, respected or praised, but we move anyway. It don't matter that story. It don't matter the story that's being told about us. We move anyway. And everything comes to the light. Everything. Every time. I do this for, I, do this for, um, I have loved ones that I've lost over the years. Two sickle cells will die. I do this for um, those ladies and brothers and men that I've known who died from sickle cell. 
who had their own dreams and legacy because if I'm still here and I'm still moving strong, that means I'm blessed and I'm holding on and I'm doing something for a purpose. I have a purpose here. So I'm going to do my best to move in it. And that is what led to my audacity as well. Absolutely. And like you're here for a real reason and you're walking mm -hmm. in that purpose, stepping in that purpose, even going back to what you were talking about, going to school for science to understand your body and just how everything you went to school for learned as a leader, how all of it is coming full circle. That's the cool thing about life. Like we never know how we're going to get to where we're trying to go. But if we stay on the path, if we stay obedient, which you've been obedient, you, you're now walking in your purpose. You're now able to just really see what everything you've gone through up until this point now, what it all means. And uh, mm -hmm. that's, that's great that you're continuing to be strong. Like you said, people in your family, they fortunately, you know, didn't pass away. And just in general, in the black community, just in the healthcare system that you've already spoken on, we're misdiagnosed or we're sent home too soon. Like the medical system, especially my government, trust me, it's trash. It's trash. All right. I'm, I'm just going to call it what it is. I, I, I've had, I mean, fortunately I have, I mean, seriously, like I have relatives, fortunately that they're, they're still alive, but they've, they've been, especially during the pandemic. Oh my goodness. You're talking about, they really showed it. They, they, they really showed their hand during the pandemic. People were sent up in a relative of mine was sent up in the hospital for six weeks with a, with a blood infection that the doctors couldn't find, but it took us, his family going up there and say, Hey, you know what? We need to take him out of this hospital. We need to take him to another place. And we took him to the other place. And two days later, they found what they were looking for. So what you're talking about with the healthcare system, it's trash in Montgomery for real. Oh, it was exposed heavily with the pandemic. When it got to the point where they started sending folks away, turning folks away from the hospital. And I work mostly in um, with elderly patients and um, my time in healthcare. So it's, um, I saw a lot of sad stories. I worked in what people would consider the forgotten spaces, like for rehab facilities and long-term care. These are areas where a lot of people will drop their loved ones and or drop people off in spaces or they end up in here through unfortunate experiences. And they, um, during the pandemic, they were just as heavily affected. There's a lot of areas and stories you heard where the care was too little too late or there weren't enough resources to go around or based on the area where they weren't receiving care, they may not have had the type of, um, they may not have had the type of attention to a deep to detail that was necessary. But in that regard, even the workers themselves felt overworked. So, and felt underrepresented, underappreciated. So yeah. Um, there are some things that need to heavily be exposed when it comes to healthcare, but I could see more and more, especially during the pandemic, God was moving more out of that space. I was moving more out of that space. And it'd been giving me signs for the longest, but you know me, I'm thinking, I'm here, I'm gonna do it. And like I said, I'm stubborn. So yeah, I'm like, well, no, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. But I needed, I was being led to something that was um, fulfilling and could bring me peace because on the journey of us wanting to help and make a difference in the world, we cannot forget about self-care. Self-care is also a reward to experience on behalf of our ancestors, rest and peace and um, helping to maintain your health and your peace of mind and your care for yourself makes a difference. And I needed something that's gonna help give me that balance too, where not only um, can I help and do the things that I'm passionate about when it comes to Black people and moving through coffee, but I can also create a grace space where 
I can live and be around because if you ain't around to do it, how are you going to expect, like, how are you going to make this kind of difference in people's lives and you ain't around to do it? You're not taking care of yourself to do it. And you hear major mogul stories about um, people who live in success and um, have built things, but then they die before their time or their health decline in such a way because they just disregarded themselves. And I don't necessarily um, subscribe all the way to the grind mode factor. And I don't talk about people that do because oftentimes there are people who are moving in that way by choice. And that's fine. Get on your hustle, get on your grind. But move in a way that you can be around to reap the success and continue on the journey to make a difference for others, even in your grind. And rest and peace is something that um, is a right for you to have and for you to have on behalf of your ancestors because many of ours could not. Right. Exactly. And that's what they and they and I can't speak for them because a lot of a lot of them are dead and gone, but just based on their actions, that's why they did things like the Great Migration. That's why they put in that the groundwork so we could reap the benefits of the work that they knew that they wouldn't even get a chance to reap the benefits of. So that's amazing. And yeah, self-care is definitely it's important. And that this whole notion of no sleep, grind all day, all day culture. Yeah, I don't subscribe to that either. I mean, some people do and good for them, but that's good that uh, you're prioritizing your self-care. And in spite of everything that's, that's going on with, that goes on with the medical system here in Montgomery, you still here persevering, taking it one day at a time, beating sickle cell to his knees because you'll be victorious <laughs> over it. Like, trust me, like that's how you got to do it. Like that's, that's just what we do. And like I said, Marcy, I'm not the most politically correct. I'm not the most polished orator. I just, I just speak from the heart, but I appreciate you for telling your story and just sharing everything you got going on with the coffee, coffee company, all the great things you have going on, all the great things that's coming down the pipeline, which leads to my next portion vision. What are your short-term and long-term goals for the business? Um, my short-term goals are um, to be able to move. Well, I have a personal short-term goal where I want to be able to move up to one ton of coffee each month uh, in the next one uh, year. And the biggest goal I have set up next is to open a coffee roastery, either here in the city of Montgomery or in the city of Tuskegee. I want to open a roastery where I can pull more coffee for um, from these farmers independently that way they can be better compensated and have more um, ep economic stability for their families. And I want to create the demand because quite frankly, aside from me wanting to help these folks, this is a delicious coffee. It's not a cheap bean. It is a specialized coffee that is grown in volcanic mountainous soil. And when I say that, people don't understand that that means that your soil has some of the highest levels of nutrients, um, the least, uh, the most protected in a lot of ways from major um, parasites and bacteria and things. And it is allowed, based on it being in an elevated space, it is allowed time to grow and for the cherry to get the most nutrients. So aside from this being an amazing tasting coffee that these hardworking farmers were to bring, I want to have a source, um, a coffee supply line that rolls right into the state of Alabama and black cities. That way people can get first experience and first opportunity for uh, making a difference for these farmers. So a roastery is what I want. A roastery is my short term. Next two years, moving one ton of coffee and um, by next year, each month, move one ton of coffee, which is 2000 pounds each month. These are my goals. And then long term is to um, solidify the strong uh, supply chain for Kenya 
and to replicate it in other areas that I'm blessed to come across um, those that are willing to stand up and move because it is also a faith journey for them on their end. There's a lot of um, political influence. There's a lot of uh, <laughs> there's a lot of influence as far as cartel is concerned. Because truth be told, coffee is the legal drug game. Very seriously, um, it has plagued and many have suffered under the stretches of people wanting to keep far, uh, farmers in a impoverished state for the sake of benefiting the most. So. I would love to see long-term goals, dignity, and representation restored for one coffee farmer at a time, one location. So if people see my business and love coffee, help me. I have very unique and distinct flavors of this coffee that's no artificially flavored. These are natural flavors that are coming from the areas that the coffee grows and the environment that they grow and the uniqueness of the bean. So they're naturally distinct flavors that are directly sourced and purchased to help these farmers. So these are my big goals is that with building the demand through retail and wholesale um, um, sales, I can help bring recognition to the story and provide an amazing cup to people that really have a value for coffee. Because I'm telling you right now, the uh, major coffee shops you get your stuff from is cheaping. And you will know and taste the difference between my coffees and sip, which... Um, leads me to the space that I'm actually having a coffee tasting on December 8th at the um, RSA Dexter Tower Lounge on the fourth floor, December 8th from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. And it'll be a free coffee tasting. I will shell out my entire selection of coffees along with a new um, release that I'm um, bringing from Mount uh, Kenya. Currently, all my coffees are coming from different locations on Mount Elgon, and I'm taking you through East Africa and the next mountain we'll move through, a volcanic mountain we'll move through is Mount Kenya. So come check it out. Um, go on our social media pages, International Coffee Line, to find out more information on that. Um, you can find us on Google and all those good things. But this is um, these are my goals, short-term, long-term. And I know I may have jumped the gun with you a little, but this, I told you at the beginning, don't let me get to rambling on coffee. I'm going to talk okay. to you all day. <laughs> It's all good. Don't you did you're doing great. I appreciate you for sharing your short term and long term goals. And I have no doubt you'll make them all come to fruition. Powerful stuff. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. As we wrap up the podcast, I wanna ask a million dollar question. I started this podcast to highlight the greatness connected to the city, whether you were born here or lived here for a significant period of your life, be it college, military, or work. You coming down to Montgomery to attend the Alabama State University and still residing here. I want to ask you, Marcy, what do you appreciate the most about the gump? Oh, what do I love? Appreciate the, um, the legacy, the people, uh, the rich history laced all up and through this good and bad story. Because like I said, I told you, I love the black story. So um, it's the people here and the desire to want to continue on that story and making a difference in this community every day. There are many, you know, people working on the ground and I've been blessed to come across some who just love this city and I see and it is something I can relate and resonate with based on the legacy that I learned about from my family's um, roots in Arkansas. Um, and yeah, that's what I love about this city and the ability and potential it has to do more, to do so much more. Even now, I love it. Yes, ma'am. Powerful stuff. And you've already given us your social media handles, International Coffee, and I'll be putting those pages in the description of the episode. I just oh, want to say them. Can I say them? 
Can I say that one more time? I oh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Go yeah, for no. it. Okay. Check what us out social- on our website at www.internationalcoffeeline.com. Um, you can find us on, um, what is it, on Instagram at International Coffee Line, on Facebook, International Coffee Line. But if you, if nothing else, if you struggle with finding us, check us out on Google. And if you actually um, bless us with purchasing coffee, directly from us, which you won't regret. You will love the take coffee that you have. Leave us a um, review on Google because I want to build more of that presence and space so I can identify like, and understand how unique this coffee is and how Black farmers can still source amazing coffee. Yes, yeah. ma'am. And of course, I'll put all of that information in the description of the episode. Hey, Marcy, thanks again for the conversation. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much, brother. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. And I wish you the best of luck with your endeavors. I think this is an amazing podcast. I think this is an amazing show that you have highlighting these stories. Thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. Good people. That concludes another dope episode of the Gumtown Podcast. In the meantime, in between time, y'all know what to do. Be blessed. Be safe. But most importantly, have the audacity to be you. Gone. Thanks again for tuning in. I appreciate your time and your attention. Until next time.